0: Welcome to the Maximum Mom Podcast, and today I have Eve Rodsky. I feel like I'm kind of like interviewing a famous person. She is an amazing author of Fair Play, which is really one of my favorite books I have read in such a long time. Eve, welcome.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, Elise, you and I got to have a little before talk, and why I wanted to be here was because you are... The epitome of what I write about in Fair Play. And what I mean by that is a journey through the shock and the awe of what it looks like to have to think having it all means doing it all, to raising six kids, to having a blended family, to encouraging independence, to recognizing that adulting is not gendered, to recognizing that doing your laundry and housework for men is an important message, all the way to recognizing the importance of unicorn space the active pursuit of what makes it you what you've done and you're and you and you encouraging your kids so that's my 20 seconds about Elise that has made me so excited to have you in my life as a spiritual friend that we met on social media but also because I think so much of your life experience uh, mirrors so much of the interviews I had
0: for uh, the book and it made me really happy to connect with you. Oh, yeah, I am so glad. I really want to dig into those interviews. I mean, those of you who might not know Eve, I mean, first, you really just should. I mean, you just need to get (laughs) to know her. I mean, she's a Harvard law grad, so she totally understands our, you know, lawyer brains and the lawyer side of things. But I mean, she has done so much for I mean, just I want to say women, but I mean, it's so beyond women. It's just parents and families and couples and people in the world in bringing about fair play. So I really want to dive in. I mean, Eve, how would you describe fair play to well, I guess first I should I shouldn't treat you like anybody else. I always need to know what makes you a mom. Like what oh, it. it you're in your family? Tell us about
1: your I family. love that. I love family structure questions because it's I think it's really important. Um I was speaking to this beautiful woman who wrote a book called How to Raise a Feminist Son. And she said that, you know, even just talking about different what a different family structures look like is very powerful since we have okay. a very, you know typical one in our mind often of a hetero cisgender couple with two, two and a half kids <laughs> and a dog in the yard. And often does not look like that. Um, I grew up in a family structure of a single mother. It was me and my autistic brother and my mother, even though nobody knew he was autistic, because as we know for single mothers, it is a lot to hold all the cards. That's the fair play metaphor yep. for all the domestic child care and housework, plus trying to make a living is not easy. So we see you single parents. And my family structure now is I am a Syrian Jewish identified woman of immigrants who lives with a a hetero cisgender man, Seth Rodsky, my husband. We have three kids and we are currently residing in Los Angeles, even though I grew up in New York City. So what makes me a mother is, you know, I think birthing a book, of course, but also being responsible for three humans. One was a toddler in the pandemic. And I do not recommend that do not recommend raising a toddler in a pandemic to anybody out there again. And my son, Zach is 12. My son, Ben is nine
0: and Anna is four. That is awesome. Wow. You do have your hands full though. I mean, you're in like full bore mom mode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I will say that at least I've done hard things. You know, I, I was a parental child, as a psychologist would call me. I helped my mother with eviction notices, late utility bills. I had to reconnect with my father um, in a parental child role. I had to help set up SSD for my autistic brother. I've had to get through law school, take two bars, pay all my loans off. But I will say nothing. I don't think anything's been jump out of a plane. That's for another podcast. But All those things have not been as hard as raising a toddler in a pandemic. And I have the privilege, obviously, of having a partner who is now a fair play partner. So um, I think the PTSD, we don't even have any idea of what we're going to see in the next couple of years for how women's mental health and physical health will have been affected for what we just went through.
0: Oh, I completely agree. And I think that a lot more is going to need to be done to really look into that. I mean, that is almost its own separate podcast. I mean, I've worried so much. I'm on the other spectrum having a child who's going off to college. So I've been raising a junior and senior in the pandemic you know, too. whose life got really changed. And, you know, me having to really flip my own mindset of, his grades have become completely immaterial to me in the sense of he's alive. Yeah. He's engaged in the world. Yeah. I was all about engaged and truly content, you know, looking at his mental health, making sure that he was content. And so, you know, that looked different for our family, I'm sure than other families and everyone has had to handle it their Uh own way. But when I've been working with parents in my work, and they're all worked up about their kids' homework and worksheets and what I'm like, could you throw those worksheets <laughs> away? Like this is. I'll not- go
1: further, at least I'll say let's literally burn them with a match. Yeah, big burn time. them. Like I mean, we'll I- do it safely, so you don't burn your house down. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, so true though. It is so true. Well, let's talk about fair play and the division of labor. And I mean, why did you write fair play? Tell us about it. I'm
1: just laughing because it it reminded me a lot of what you said earlier, and I'd love for you to tell your audience about what you said about your first husband and his view of your time. But I chose to write fair play, and um, you know I, I write about this in the book, even though I don't get to unpack it as deeply as I'd like to, so I could do that here for a couple minutes. But it really was it, you know, you can't make this stuff up. I started with a a text Seth sent me. One, you know, random day, uh, his text said, "I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries," and this um, blue. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. Apparently, launched an entire new career in my life as a political activist. So, I always say, "Thank you, Seth, for you know, for make, thinking I was the fulfiller of your smoothie needs back then." Uh, but that day, that Seth sent me, "I'm the surprised you didn't get blueberries" text. It actually felt a lot like the pandemic. So that's why I wanted oh, yeah. to unpack pack it. It was a day that after my second son was born. So this was 2011. Mm-hmm. So it, it was the, my son, Zach, was already back in his toddler transition program. So it was sometime in the fall and I still had a scar that was, you know, pussing and healing from my second C-section. I had a diaper bag in the passenger seat of my car, a breast pump in the passenger seat of my car. Ben was home with our, our nanny at the time or babysitter. I can't remember if we had a nanny yet. And then I had the gifts for the newborn baby to return the backseat in my car. I had started my own firm because I had opted out of the traditional workforce. Right. I say forced out now because language matters. But back then I thought I was really making a choice right. for flexibility. I had a pen in between my legs because I still mark up everything analog. I don't know how you do things, but um, I would I would hit the stop sign because I, I was in the car because I was racing to get my older son Zach at his toddler transition program and in America those last seven minutes because we you know we really value childcare anyway so every time I would hit the brakes this pen would sort of stab me in the vagina and that sort of became my metaphor for that day just being stabbed in the vagina by a pen and then Seth sends me this text. You know, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries in the midst of being stabbed in the vagina with a pen. And I was, I was done. At least I was done. I said, you know what? I pulled over. I was like, I'm going to be late to pick up Zach. We don't take traffic lightly in Los Angeles. We don't pull over often, but um, I couldn't drive. I mean, I was already texting and driving. I was like, I'm going to literally drive this car into a ditch. So I just sat there sobbing, thinking that I did not have the career marriage combo I thought I was going to have. And more importantly, how would I become the default? I call in fair play the she fault because this is a problem that affects women. I was holding two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family at that time uh, and working outside the home. And that's a statistic that I was undeniably living, but I didn't know at the time that most, that, that is our statistic in America. Women um, hold two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether we work outside the home. And so that was it. That put me on a journey of saying, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And I needed to understand before I could change anything, what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And that's what the last 10 years was. It was a awakening, a political awakening, because private lives are public issues. Right. And the more we think things are private and it's just our problem or our fault, then we don't, we don't change things. Right. And so it was my understanding and awakening to the fact that society has been built on the backs of the unpaid labor of women that's been a, it's not inevitable. It's actually freaking inevitable. And, um, and sort of my quest to change it partnership by partnership. Uh,
0: I mean, it's so powerful. I just, I mean, I have goosebumps listening. I cannot even imagine, th- but I can. This drive and getting that text about the blueberries, I mean, would be game changing as you're dealing with that.
1: Yeah. It still brings up cheer sometimes because oh, it was, yeah. Uh, You know, I think what it comes down to is it's it was a bigger assumption. And that's, you know, why Fair Play again, like I say, is a political movement. It started off as a self-help book because, you know, it couldn't be a political movement. And in the way that I needed to tell my story, because my own unwinding of this did not start as a political movement. It started with deep seated resentment towards my partner that made me want to leave my marriage because the only people I saw who were empowered to have men do childcare and housework were my friends who were divorced. Right. Because they were forced to do it. Right. And so I kept thinking, this is a terrible family structure idea because we're already disempowered in family law in divorce. And so we're going to end up with like less financially empowered women. And um, the only way to get men to do is, and it's more work. And So my idea was, you know, let me, you know, of course, some people do have to leave their marriages to get that domestic fairness. But for me, it was trying to understand if I could try to bring equality into a marriage, equity, not even equality, just some, some unloading of my encumbered mind, then I would at least be doing a service. And so that's what, that's what it started off as. It started off as the shit I do spreadsheet, Totally. Which (laughs) is every type A woman starts with a list. Yep. Absolutely. And then after nine months of crowdsourcing that with women like you, Elise, who said to me, things like Eve, you know, you forgot elf on the shelf. <laughs> and I'd say, okay, well, I'm a Jew. So yeah, I may have forgotten that. Um, but actually, no, no. If you go to tab 72, you obviously don't know how to use Excel scroll to 72. If you go to tab called magical beings, that's tab 72 scroll down. You got to scroll because you don't know how to use Excel underneath Santa you will see Elf on the Shelf, it's in Absolutely. there. So it was that granular. I finally um, sent it off to Seth nine nine months later, 17, you know, million megabyte spreadsheet. And I didn't even get a word response. I just got the monkey that was covering its eyes, you know. The right the emoji. <laughs> yeah, that was it. See no evil. So I that's I think that was a day at least I recognized that I had a choice to either resign myself to doing it all leave my marriage or get my ass in gear and become my own client. And I think that's why we're talking because we're both lawyers. Yep. My specialty is organizational management. I work for families that look like the HBO show Succession and your audience should feel bad for me. But what I do for those families is I bring not just philanthropic advising, but I bring legal structure and succession structure and governance structure to their most complex organizational decisions. And that was it. That was my journey to say, when i got my ass in gear to become my own client i realized if i asked one question it could change the world totally. and that question was what if we treated our homes right. as our most important organizations that was absolutely the question.
0: I mean, it's so critical. I find it fascinating. Obviously, I didn't have the spreadsheet you did. But with my current husband, who is an amazing partner, I am not at all saying otherwise because he's phenomenal. But even at the beginning, you know, we we I asked him if we could go sit at Starbucks and I wrote a list in my notes section of my phone of everything that I had thought about that needed planning over the last seven days. It had hundreds of items on it. And I, so I brought it to him and I was like, you know, you do so many things, but you're always at that execution part. Yep. But not yep. at the beginning of the conception and the planning and yep. the, yep. you know, kind of like gathering resources, the, all that. Yet his strength professionally is he's a project manager. And oh I was God. like, right. That's, that's conception. You're paid to plan. I'm like, this is is your jam. Like you're in your flow here. So we literally sat down at Starbucks and went through this whole list. And I was like, we've got to divvy this up in a way that makes sense for our strengths. Because I mean, there's some serious stuff I suck at. So (laughs) I should not be doing it. Let's be serious. And there is some other stuff that he's not so great at that I should be doing. And so, but when I read your book, I mean, talk to us about that whole idea of real, I mean, ownership, ownership of the process.
1: Yes. Well, you just said it so beautifully. That's why I said, that's why I was so excited to meet you because you were like living fair play in real time. And by the way, you have six kids to show that it works and you, and it took a second marriage to get there. I get it. But you know, yeah. this, this, um this handbook of positive organizational scholarship is just one of the reasons I, I lift that up to show that it wasn't like, I had an idea, and I was like, "I've never this has never been tested before." Right? right. The idea of organizational management—you um, know—a lot of business schools are actually called schools of management. <laughs> I mean, we are we are actually taught and paid for the conception and planning phase. Actually, the execution right. phase is not one that we often value as much in our culture. But right. what was happening was in the domestic sphere, because we don't treat our homes as our most important organizations. I was able to see when I reframed it that way, A, it took a lot of the gendered anger out, even though I do bring that back in the beginning of Fair Play. But the system itself is really a system that can work for any family structure. I've tested it with roommates. I have beta testers that are in polyamorous relationships. Mm-hmm. But it's a very simple concept of an ownership mindset. And, you know, it's, it's like saying don't eat sugar, though. It is definitely much easier said than done. Yeah. (laughs) But the idea was I kept thinking, well, what if we what if we treated our homes as our most important organization? I know how it wouldn't look. It wouldn't look like taking the right deciding who's taking the dog out right when it's about to take a piss on the rug. It wouldn't look like setting the table when we're already hangry and cranky. Right. It wouldn't look like the dying and decision fatigue that so many of us do. And so what it would look like is an answer I got from the my second most favorite question I've ever asked in the past 10 years in 17 countries, and that was, how did mustard get into your refrigerator? My favorite question. Literally, it's so important. You can take condiments from any culture and sub them out you can talk to any family about it but let's center the hetero cisgender family now I'm talking to women married to men because again that's where the problem is and it's where a lot of our decision making are 70 percent of the one percent of men who make our decisions have stay-at-home wives the most traditional family structure imaginable so that's why I'm centering right uh, men and women here and even though the system, like I said, is celebrating all family structures. But in a t- typical heterosexual relationship, what I would hear in 17 countries and at this point, thousands of data points was mustard gets in the refrigerator because me, the woman knows my second son, Johnny, likes French's yellow mustard, only that kind on his protein. Otherwise, he literally won't eat protein. And when I go to the pediatrician, they're going to shame me because my child doesn't eat protein. Yep. Okay. I wrote that down saying, I know that. So the thinking and conceiving that conception is something that's a project management phase. Okay. Yep. So I would write that down and then I would hear, oh yeah. And then I get stakeholder buy-in from my family for what they need from the grocery list. I mean, I didn't actually hear the word stakeholder buy-in, but that's what I was listening for. Mm-hmm. I monitor the mustard for when it's running low. So again, that was a phase of planning that is typical in the workplace. And then I would finally hear, oh, yeah, and then my husband, you know, he goes to the store to get the groceries and the yellow mustard, but he brings home spicy Dijon every every freaking time. And, Eve, you know, you want me to do this ownership mindset and trust my husband with my living will. Well, the dude can't even bring home the right type of mustard. So then I was stuck, Elise. I was stuck, right, because, all right, nobody wants to do an ownership mindset because – you know, a partner can't even bring them on the right type of mustard. So, right. unpacking all of that as a classic systems failure, which I see in my more complex families, mm-hmm. was something I was able to do easily because I have 10 years of practice working in family organizational structure. Um, and so, ironically, that career ended up helping me with developing this system. Yeah. And what I recognized was that if I could break up a system, where there's onboarding. And of course, it's not just like a list, like you get the mustard, but really a thorough onboarding of a system where when you own a card, when you own a task, a gamified system, because fair play is a game, mm-hmm. that when you own the, the card, you do it with full conception, planning and execution. You're, got, you're not going to get it right at first, but at least the idea of it right. meant that you're not blaming your partner. And it was just, it became like the light bulb moment in our household
0: where everything started to change, Elise, everything. Oh, yeah. It is so transformational. I mean, I went from being married yeah. for 18 years to somebody who had that mindset of, because at, at the time I was a stay-at-home mom for much of that relationship, was, you know, his time was worth money. My time was not. And I completely agreed with that. I mean, Same. I bought into that cook line and sinker and felt like I needed to do everything. everything and he earned the money. So that was completely fair in my mind. And after, you know, a solid decade or so of that, I was like, whoa, this is intensely not the way I meant my life to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We had a hard time being able to unwind that in any way. Cause you know, once I did go back to work, it was still hard to get over that, you know, well, my time is still more valuable than your time
1: because your job is more flexible and you make less right well (laughs) ta-da women always make less so that means I'm going to be holding every single fair play card for the rest of my life because of societal inequity it didn't make sense Elise. it It didn't make sense no We we are a family unit we are here to raise these you know children together or your dogs together and it was this gendered idea around my time which is why i chose to write to women because i really at least the game if there's no shit societal mud and shit we had to go through then this would just be sitting on the shelves of the cards against humanity right because it should be very easy to say hey you take these and i take these but it's not like that it's not not like that and it's why i chose to write to women and why fair play had to be a book and not just the cards the cards actually we we purposely didn't put them out for a whole year because we were afraid as some people still do, right. That people were going to use them as just a list. Like you take laundry, you know, and like throw it at their partner. Right. It doesn't, it's not, meant. this is meant to be a conversational tool, but what the book was intended to do was to spend the first half unpacking what I call these toxic time messages for why it is that women believe their time is sand and infinite and men's time is finite and like diamonds, and that took it was a v- it's very triggering it's obviously something we can't unpack in just one episode, but I will say you know you could read the book and come join me and Elise on our social channels, but it really was for me the hardest one was two were the hardest one was convincing myself that I deserved a voice, even yeah. though Seth made more money than me by the way, now I always say to him you deserve a voice because yes, you make more money than me, but my job is way more valuable. Like I was helping, I still, to this day, I still have clients. I help them give their money away in the world. Like I structure their giving, like that's more valuable than, you know, your private equity investments. But um, I didn't see it that way. Of course, I didn't even think I could ask for any, use my voice at all to ask that to help because he made more money than me in the beginning of our relationship. And the other one that was really hard for me to unpack was believing I was a better multitasker. Oh. I really truly believe that I was wired differently for care that, and then I had to unpack that with yeah. a neuroscientist who of course told me there's no gender difference in how yeah. men and women multitask. But even more importantly, he joked with me and said, well, look what we men have done to you. Women, you know, we've convinced you that you're better Completely. at wiping asses and doing dishes. Right. How great for my leisure time and my tenure. And he was joking, but at least when he said that, <laughs> I started to cry in his office. Oh, yeah. It was so triggering to unpack it, these issues.
0: Oh, well, it's so interesting to me. I mean, listening to you, the thing that my ex-husband will say and has always said the whole time we were married and post-marriage, how capable I am. And he'll tell the children, your mother is so capable. And I think in his heart, in many ways, he means it positively. It is so triggering to me because it was the thing that I always felt like, well, this is his way of being like, well, she can do this, but somehow he couldn't. And somehow, you know, because he would get stressed by something and I was able to handle the stress. I should be the one doing it, so I would just take on more and more and more caretaking roles. I mean, I won't bore you with all the people I have caretake for in my family, and it was all based on this. I was so capable. That, that was never the-
1: boring. It will never be boring for me to hear who you caretake for for your family, because the value of care is the political movement. It is that is your your art legacy. It is what we have to demand that men do. For us yep. to get a fair shake in this earth 2.0. I mean, if we learn anything about the pandemic, right? You know, can we learn that an hour holding our children's hand at the pediatrician's office is just as valuable as the hour in the boardroom? That's what yeah. I'm hoping.
0: The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time.
1: As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth.
0: For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. The hour sitting by your child on Zoom, trying to help them stay focused in school. I mean, and we see so many women who have left the workforce because of the pandemic, which is just so painful to me on so many levels. I mean, just so many levels. As a business owner, I mean, I feel so strongly around the issue of, Flexibility and providing a working environment that works for women's actual real lives. That's not based in some kind of weird utopian existence that is not an existence. And when I see how many women have left the workforce because of employers that are not ha- and have not been flexible about moms, mostly who have been educating these children for 15 months, I literally want to like scream and poke people's eyeballs out.
1: Absolutely. And I want to say to employers, if you're listening or leaders, hold your fucking horses. I mean, I literally, I'm seeing, I, it's just, it's crazy. The You know, the eagerness to just jump back into the way things were the, oh, you're returning to office on July one, the not communicating with employees to passive aggressive communication. It is Ironically, the same communication I, ta- I, I caution against in fair play, which is, you know, passive aggressive, you know, one one the Washingtonian CEO, who's a woman, she wrote an op-ed about her employees coming back to the office. She never even spoke directly to them, We're just right. not used to having difficult conversations, at least. And I think- Not at all. That, at honestly, all. the systems part of the fair play, right? The idea that you, you know, when Seth heard, oh, of course- if I'm in charge of extracurricular sports, I can't believe I've been saying that um, by getting them to the Little League field and not recognizing that yeah. you're serving the their, the kids for what friends they want to play with. You've been researching leagues. You've been yeah. five copies of their birth certificate to hand to me. You've been on an 85-person text chain to get them to practice. And you're arranging a coach's gift and like a after-season party. Like, whoa. Like, when you realize that that was all included... In owning the extracurricular sports card, not only did I get six hours a week, my week back, he started to get an understanding of why it was so hard to even get there, which is that, A, we, we were both in this bizarre gendered understanding of time that it wasn't 24 hours, that somehow time was money. And his was more important than mine. His was diamonds. We were all, we were both guarding it. Mine was infinite and sand. And I was capable, like you said, just handling everything else, unpaid labor. And then, of course, we both stopped communicating, which I think so many people do. And then so much of what I started to say to myself was, well, in the time it would even take me to bring this up or tell Seth what to do, I should just do this myself and that became the worst and most toxic That's of the toxic time
0: messages. That is, I mean, I have to tell you, like, I preach this constantly. I mean, I love to delegate like none other. And even in my team, at home, in my family, I mean, I think learning to delegate smartly and learning how to delegate well and your system allows people to see all three of the steps, the conception. That's right. And it's a game. If you don't know how to delegate, I say, just it's a game hand over a card.
1: That's how you delegate. You say, we're going to experiment. You'll hold the laundry card for a week. And you know, my son, Ben, I'll tell you something funny because he, if a nine-year-old, I will say to your audience, if a nine-year-old can get this, then anybody can. He was looking at the laundry card because that's his on the weekends. He's responsible for laundry, um, for everybody's laundry. And, he said to me, he saw my friend, he was, we were scrolling through Instagram or something. And he saw my friend was saying her daughter was helping her fold laundry. And Ben said to me, well, that's a terrible idea, mom, because A, she's, the daughter's going to feel nagged. B, she's just helping out. Why doesn't the daughter just do from the secret oils? That's what he calls the downy and the tide, the secret oils all the way to setting a timer from when the wash is up because you always forget and then having to put it in the dryer and then mom had to set another timer because you have to take it out and then you have to clean that lint oh that's my favorite part because it feels good to take the lint out and then you have to fold all the clothes and he went on youtube and learned a new folding technique. there's actually a new folding technique no where way. you can just like pinch a shirt and it just folds i don't know super cool so he learned oh, that God. Gosh, I need that. And then he said to me, "You know, the only thing I don't like to fold or touch is I don't really like your un- to touch your underwear." So I said, "You know what, Ben? You don't have to do my underwear. Totally. I'm glad you're doing everybody else's laundry, but I'll, I'll save my—I'll save my underwear in a pile and I'll do it myself." Right, Fair and that's that is. If a nine-year-old can get that concept of ownership,
0: then anybody can. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. In learning to delegate well, in and be willing to experiment. And I know you and I talked about the whole idea of mistakes. I mean, we've had many laundry mistakes in our family. My children start laundry at eight and I don't touch it after that. Like I've been a hands-off laundry mom. We have had many a load turn pink. And I'm like, you know, my boys look lovely in pink. At football. Yeah, I love it. I'm like, you know, it's kind of cute on you with your red hair. And so it. But they yeah, learned- the one thing I hate the laundry mistake, I won't say I hate is when tissues are left in
1: pockets. Oh, my oh. God. One time Ben had to clean out like with a tweezer, like everyone like tissue ball. And I was like, this-. Oh, yeah, but I still said to my kids, like you have serious privilege that you're doing it at home. Right. I mean, I know, I, you know, I didn't totally. grow up with laundry in my house. I mean, that's amazing. And and so they understand the privilege of that. And they I actually got to go take them back to the Lower East Side and show them oh. the laundromat because I this is too much laundry information, but you get, and the reason why I'm doing this is actually because part of the exercise I tell couples if they're stuck is um, instead of starting, starting with even building your deck together or who does what step back and just play with the cards and Mm -hmm. just use them as a conversation prompt for storytelling. So for example, my laundry story, I'll tell you is that I got mace really early because actually a girl was assaulted in my laundry room where I grew up. Wow. So I ended up using a public laundry mat that we had across the street. And, you know, we got one of those carts mm-hmm. and we take it there because I was I was too scared to use that the laundry mat in my building. Right. And so laundry has a lot of triggers for me. It has a lot of storytelling in me. It has a lot of uh, female vulnerability in me. Right. And I'm doing it for my mom really young. So there's a lot of beauty because you can get, you know, you think your partner knows so many things about you, but they may not, you know, who fixed the sinks in your home growing up, you know, you just by asking that question, you can learn so much. Did you host parties when you were growing up? You get so much information about your partner that, you know, we don't
0: really practice having those types
1: of deep communication.
0: Oh, I think that's an amazing idea. I mean, you've given me an idea because I've bought your book and cards for all of our young adult children. And what a great way for them to have conversations with their partners who they're partnered up with now, you know, in that stage before maybe they're deciding to marry or not or whatever they're going to do. I think that's such an amazing opportunity.
1: You know, do it over cocktails, bring them home. We're going to play like the game. Like, tell me about groceries going up. Where did you... I mean, totally. it's so fun. Like I would, if I, if you asked me that question, at least I would say, you know what my mom and I, my, my brother, those that's some of my favorite memories because yeah. we'd go to Pathmark together in the Lower East Side. And I remember we would, it was always freezing in that Pathmark and it was always cold outside. And so I was never the one picking the vegetables or the outside stuff. I always went to the interior and that was fun for me because I got to pick one brand name cereal. So I'd always pick Count Chocula or like Cocoa Puffs with the, you know, the yeah. that weird bird on the front of it. And so I remember that I was like too cold for the aisle. So I'd go to the middle and I have these fond memories of my sugar cereal that I still eat till today. But again, like, you know, I want to know things about you. I want to know things about my partner or they can learn things about their
0: boyfriend, their polyamorous friends or whatever they're dating, wherever they're dating.
1: You get to tell stories.
0: I just think that's amazing. Well, and it's interesting. You bring up grocery store yeah, tell me a story. Do you have a memory of groceries? Oh, completely. Well, it's, it's with my own children. I used to homeschool my children when before I was married. So when I just had my four children at home, we were... Hurricane Katrina, so we had to evacuate. It's a long story, but oh, wow. so I was homeschooling my four children. And one of the ways I taught them math was by making, we would have a grocery list and I would split it in fours. And one older child would have to go with a younger child and they would have to get these things on each of the child's list. But they each had a budget at the top. So then they'd have to figure out the cost wow. of their things with their budget. And then whoever was cooking would, you know, be involved in, well, how much do we need to make for cooking? There was a lot of math that went wow, into wow shopping and it was such a fun time watching them all that we'd get to the target and they'd all go out on their little ways at the super target doing their things. And yeah, it was pretty amazing to see homeschooling. My children helped me to understand just how competent kids really are.
1: Yeah.
0: And so it was very eye-opening when you talk about Ben being able to do that laundry. And that means your husband too could do the laundry or any husband could do the laundry. It was so eye-opening to me because I was like, I've got these children that are competent little beings. And I was like, why am I doing all the things? And it was very helpful to me. And that's, I mean, if your book and cards were available in my time as you know, early on, I just, it would have been game changing as far as not being so resentful and angry. I mean, just opening up and having those conversations rather than from a place of resentment and anger, but from a place of, you know, let's do this better. Like, let's make this work yeah. together so that we can together raise the children. I mean, because fundamentally, and this is a thing that I find really sad because in our family, I did do all of the things. I also became the parent that was so close to my children. And I think because of that, my ex, who probably had many, many wonderful things to offer the children, really didn't have the opportunity because the relationship wasn't there because of this different gendered way we dealt with things. And and it's, it's really sad. And I mean, it's sad even to this date. It's sad.
1: well. I say, like, fair play is a love letter to men
0: because nobody wants to live
1: like this. I mean, no. I think we we get into these things by default because yeah. we, instead of having these types of conversations, look, we have to invest time in hearing about you know your beautiful grocery stories or mine. We have, you have to invest in conversations, right. and we don't invest in conversations. We don't believe it's a practice. We treat con- communication as a means to an end. I talk about this a lot in my mediation practice that. The idea of communication as a practice is not typical, right. and so the more we can look at it as, as we're just practicing it doesn't have to be perfect. we can walk away. it gets better, but like you said, but the the we have to get to that table, we have to get rid of the assumptions and so so often the assumptions of gender or money in same sex couples end up taking the place of actual conversations of who wants to do what and so and then it becomes well, I could never ask them because they have this other more important role. Um, And I will say that the men that are the primary breadwinners in their families that are also beta testers for fair play are the ones I feel closest to. Oh, yeah. The transformation that they are seeing in terms of what connections and space and role they can have in their home and recognizing that it doesn't diminish their ability to make money or be a capable leader. In fact, my husband will tell you he believes he is double, triple, quadruply more successful the more he's invested in our kids and fair play. Yep, and it's because he has things to talk about to his colleagues. He can be a yep. deeper person. He can thread deeper with people. He has stories. He has humanity. Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean humanity is everything.
0: it's all. What else do we have? It, We're not what else do we have? And what else do we actually care about? I mean. To me, yeah, it's, yeah. it's everything. And I mean, what a value and what an amazing just power your husband's newfound stories and, and humanity will bring to your children. I mean, well, that, that, that's the beauty. I think for us, it's
1: been um, the success of recognizing that, you know, looking at other women around me who were super successful. And I, I had my friend who said to me, you know what, Eve, I was really OK doing it all. But I think what I've recognized from your book is I'm not okay having my daughters watch me do it all. Exactly. And so I will say for people out there who feel maybe a little bit more, and Maz, I'm almost ready. I'm actually in the process of upgrading all my iPads and technologies to talk about IT. But I will say that for me, the, the legacy of recognizing, like you said, that um, adulting is not gendered. Um, I said to you, Elise, because you are a role model um, of raising competent children who understand what it means to be, to bring that competence to the next generation. And the competence is not just for your daughters, your sons are just equally as competent, it is that to me, the the reimagining of home economics, the okay. teaching the, the rest of our institutions, that the value of care, the value of these other unpaid invisible tasks are actually the core of who you become as a human. Absolutely. And that's why I ask people to tell those stories because i'm telling you if you start thinking back of the stories about your grocery sh- shopping at pathmark or your kids we tell the story of what grocery shopping was like for you as a math lesson or you hear a man pulled a grooming card out of the deck and i we were just we were on a panel and we were and he told me about learning to shave right and how it was really stressful for him because he what he didn't have a father and really? he was trying to figure out who should he just get an electric shaver or should he ask a man in his family to actually teach him to use a blade. I mean, this is where you get your stories and it's, your personality.
0: Well, it's huge. It's so, I'll never forget a time when one of my children literally just asked, you know, that's one of the sex questions, you know, just middle of this group and, you know, wants to know this. And at the time he really couldn't have gone to his dad about that. Like that just wasn't the right thing. And I just remember watching him look around and be like, who is actually going to answer this? And obviously, I stepped up to answer, (laughs) yet as did his older brother. And it was fascinating because I thought, imagine all the things that these children are missing out on, some really basic things, simply because my ex valued his time based on hours and based on money. And my time was valued differently, and it truly impacted the relationships.
1: And by the way, I think what we've also learned, corporations. I'm talking to you now. Is you know this again? Fair play is a political movement. I call it. Um, it's fair play, which is obviously what we're talking about here, which is inviting men into their full power of yeah. competence in invisible, um, unpaid labor and, and childcare and housework. Um. So fair pay and fair day are really important because they're also interrelated here in that a fair day to me is a six-hour workday or a four-day week mm-hmm. for everybody. And then you don't have to hide. You don't have to uh, put things blocked, unavailable in your calendar. You know, parenting out loud is a yeah. fair day for men, for women, for uh, LGBTQIA-identified people, for anybody who has a family structure. We want to be able to parent out loud. And so I'm hoping that that's part of the political movement is that it's not just the fair play, but it's the fair day that corporations recognize a six hour workday is plenty. Letting people leave to be adults and to have holistic lives will make them better and better employees, make them, re- they will re- be retained. The, they, the flexibility is the conception, planning, execution, letting people have the intrinsic motivation to finish their tasks and not be monitored on some scary spyware software. People right. want to do good. I really believe that um, in, in, in their jobs and in, in the world. And we have to allow them to, to be able to do that as opposed to squashing every ounce of creativity and intrinsic motivation
0: out of our employees. Well, And, and I, I think believe that ideal to, worker does that. We have to ask our employees. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so many employers miss the just asking your employee, what do you need? What do you want? What is a fair day to you? What is a great day to you? How can we make that happen? And I think it is so important just to to have those conversations with our employees and then create policies and office culture that allows employees to do what's right for each person, because it doesn't always look the same in your office. No, and, and that's people, that. One hundred percent flexibility.
1: Yeah, is in the eye of the beholder. Um, it is different from every for everybody. Work from home is not the same thing as flexible work. I think so many people conflate yeah. the two. If your butt is still in the chair for nine hours a day, it is totally. not flexible work, just because you're working from home. And so I right. think, like you said, for me, it's a lot about flexibility and predictability, where. People can feel psychologically safe to be able to predict their schedule, yep. so that they know when they can plan. Because people really like to be able to plan, and I think that's why MA attorneys we burn out the fastest. And litigation is hard too, but M and A is really hard because you can go from having nothing on your plate to a deal that ramps up that needs to close in three days, and it's so. I remember it being so stressful; we couldn't plan. So the more you can be predictable, the more you can be flexible. But like you said, Elise ask yeah. the questions. What does a fair day look like to you? Right. Um, how much more powerful is that as a question, as opposed to saying July
0: 1st, we're uh, just get ready. We're all coming back to the office. Right. I, just, I don't understand what employers are thinking. I mean, I have more people and they're <laughs> like, well, I don't want to go back. And I'm like, well, have you talked to your employer? And they're like, oh, well, that won't go over well. And I'm thinking, what
1: is that? Who mean? are you? Right. Who are you? And what century are you living in? Because I'm here to say to tell you as an organizational management specialist, I get paid the big bucks to work with family businesses and the ancillary businesses that are created by these right. patriarchs, patriarchs who have built big companies that the, the the better functioning organizations are ones that have three things: explicitly defined expectations, fairness and transparency and where you know your role. And so to get all those three things right, as you said, takes policies and practices, but it really takes knowing your your workforce.
0: And constantly asking and realizing that if you ask once six months ago, that isn't necessarily the same answer today. And I mean, I find as an owner of a law firm, it is so important for me to be nuanced and nimble enough to be constantly seeking feedback from my team so that we are really richly communicating because there's no other way to make it work. And because I can't know what's going on in everybody's lives and what's changing if I'm not really tuned in and to be tuned in, I have to ask, you know, I have to be just really trying to get what's right for them and realizing that it changes. I mean... Life is complex. People are complex. Yeah, Families are, are complex. complex. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what? Inve- I think what we're saying is invest in your employees the same way you've been investing in hand sanitizer <laughs>
0: <laughs> and toilet paper
1: at the beginning of this. <laughs> yeah. And and toilet paper. Invest in your oh employees the way we're investing in toilet paper.
0: Oh, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I mean, it has just been such an honor to be able to talk to you and bring fair play to the Maximum Mom audience. And I encourage so many male attorneys who I know are, you know, great dads. And I just know that this will be such an amazing conversation for all the attorneys in our Maximum Lawyer group. And so I really appreciate your time today so much.
1: So do I, and I may have to impose on you and come back and to ask your son to do a tutorial for my middle son who's obsessed with restoring old cars as well. And so oh, absolutely, uh, I want to see, I would love to see what your son continues to do.
0: Oh yeah. Well, it's great. When it moved the other day, it was pretty exciting. I mean, he got it off the, you know, the stands and was a- able to actually drive it out. And I mean, my husband was just Absolutely thrilled for him. You know, he's like posting pictures everywhere. Like uh-huh. the Porsche moved. It was really exciting. I mean, it's pretty cool to watch somebody be able to take a car. I mean, down, I mean, to nothing, it had nothing, and literally just build it up where it works. It's amazing, actually.
1: Well, like I said, your children are living in what I call unicorn space. And so I hope we can encourage everybody to do that. Absolutely. And you I'll come on happy. for that. I would love to come on for the yes. book is launching and I finally get to announce it. That's announcing it's coming out in January first.
0: So I, oh, I, I hope so I can join great. you again. Oh, I would love that. I've already pre-ordered your book. I mean, oh, unicorn thank you, space. thank you. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to read that. I have this vision of unicorn space groups where oh we have these interests they're pursuing and they can pursue them together as their unicorn space. I will talk about that because I have so many things to say about your idea of unicorn space. I think it's amazing. And it's what makes us interesting humans. Absolutely. Well, I will come back on for that. I'm giving you a major big hug. Absolutely. Well, you have a wonderful day. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.